Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. We're back! So exciting! Hello! You just did a little dance, forgetting that it's a podcast and no one can hear. You think after a few years of doing this, I would remember that it's audio only and no one can see my hand gestures or dance moves. I know. You know what's weird though is that for the first time ever, well, for the first time since we were recording this in person in the good old days, we are recording it like almost face to face. Yeah. I know we have a like a video recorder that only gives you, the listeners, audio. Honestly, it's been it's been great because it means that every interview we've done for this season, we've actually had the pleasure of seeing our guest and it's been wonderful. I know, it's such a good change. I'm so glad we're doing it this way now. It feels even more normal than it always did for us. Like, you know, anyone would who's listened before would know that we have always recorded virtually because even before we lived apart, we lived in regional Queensland and no one else lives in regional Queensland. So we've always recorded virtually, but now the rest of the world is used to it and wants to record things virtually and do, you know, video calls as well. Yeah. And now everyone knows what a Zoom chat is. It's not just a weird thing that self-employed business coaches and stuff know about. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's been really lovely to do that and to actually, yeah, see the people that we're talking to. So today we're super excited for you to hear one of the first interviews we did for this season. And I think you'll really enjoy it. I think everyone will too. Before we dive into the interview, you know, at the start of the show, we always have a bit of a chat. Now we have cut that back a little bit in the new season. We've sort of given the podcast a bit of a refresh and each episode we are just going to recommend you one thing. And then at the end of the month, if you join us on Instagram, we do a little live video where we share some more things that we've loved watching and listening to and reading over the month. So we're just trying to streamline things a little bit more so that you get more time listening to our guests. And if anyone hasn't seen our end of month wrap ups on Instagram yet, we've done a few already in prep for the new podcast season. So uh, July and August are on our IGTV right now. What is your recommendation for this episode? Today, I'm recommending that our Aussie YA fans read You Were Made For Me by Jenna Guillaume, if they haven't already. Friend of the show, we actually recasted Jenna's episode, um, what was it, like two weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah, from last year when we talked to her about what I like about me, which was really fun. So obviously we loved what I like about me. I was very excited to get a copy of You Were Made For Me. So You Were Made For Me is I think the best way that I have found to describe it is if like Frankenstein was a young adult (laughs) rom-com. This sounds fun. Yes, it is very fun. The main character, Katie, and her friend accidentally create a real life boyfriend for Katie who looks like a long lost Hemsworth brother. He's gorgeous. It's actually very cute in the book. It's written at the beginning, especially. It's almost like 
like a report and they're like, so this is what happened. And they've like blacked out the um, like formula. So I was just imagining it was very like contemporary YA. Can you just explain very briefly without spoiling it? What, how do they do this? What, what happens? I don't, I don't get it because I was expecting it to be a bit like Jenna's last book, which is very you know, rom-com. And this is obviously a rom-com as well. But what's the element that happens? The slightly supernatural element there is that, yeah, after school one day, there's, um, Katie is an artist and she has created a sculpture of this like perfect looking, you know, six pack, floppy blonde hair, tall, Hemsworth person. And her friend Libby is like more, you know, more like a science person. Um, And so they create this formula, which is all blacked out. And then like in the middle of the night, (laughs) he comes to life. (laughs) It's it's hilarious. And it's so fun. Yeah. So then there's all these antics as the girls are, you know, they're like, how do we explain this to 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 like any of our friends or like how do we lie about it to our parents like where's he gonna stay (laughs) tell everyone I have a boyfriend like oh it's so so fun and is he like fully formed or is he like looks nice but is not you know computing mentally I mean like like Janet from the good place or something like that yeah yeah exactly Janet from the good place like is he just like being nice looking but then they've got to be like no you you can't do this or this is how humans behave I don't know a little bit of both like they had to um tell him you know to not say that his parents were Katie and Libby because they created him and you know stuff like that which is very very cute it's such a fun read it's still like very contemporary and very Aussie and very fun but yeah that like slightly I guess it's like a supernatural element. I love that yeah. like, little touch of magic, I suppose. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if that's called magical realism. Like, I don't know if I, I know that's a genre, but I don't know if that applies. It seem like quite the right word for this book, but it's somewhere in that realm. It's more realism than magic. <laughs> I love that. That sounds so fun. I will definitely be reading that. Yeah, it was very, very fun. What have you been reading lately? Well, I have just listened to an audiobook that I enjoyed so much. I'm considering getting the hardback version of the book because, yes, I love a hardback and I love that books in England come out in hardback first. So I'm I'm very tempted because it was an absolutely wonderful book and I don't know if anyone's ever seen the show Pointless. I don't know if you've seen the show Pointless. That's the only thing I can think that this author has been on. He's the host of Pointless. He's been on things like QI. His name is Richard Oseman. Very, very familiar TV panel show face in England. And this is his first novel. It's called The Thursday Murder Club. So basically there is a group of mainly four elderly people living in a retirement village Mm -hmm. and they are all you know after my own heart true crime aficionados (laughs) um elderly murderinos 
and they meet every Thursday, the Thursday murder club. They meet in like one of the rooms, they book out their little room and they go over old case notes of old cold case files. Like next door, they're playing bingo. One of the people, Joyce, writes a journal and she was, she'll be like, well, we have to meet in this room because the crossword club meet in this. And then they had the knitting circle at you know the other room and then the crochet club wanted to come in here oh there was a really really funny line about it was like chatty knitting or something like that and she says but there was too much chatting so they've done like a offshoot crochet group where they can they didn't want as much chatting um and it's just things like that like he is brilliant at combining those really funny observational things with this murder that takes place and actually there's a couple of different murders and they're all trying to solve them and there are police officers in there and they get one of the one of the young female police officers they get on side and they like are getting information from her and it's just wonderful each of the the four main characters there's Elizabeth, Ron, Joyce and Ibrahim and each of them has these former life skills pre-retirement village and (laughs) I it it is going to be a series there is he's already working on book number two and I really hope it's one of those quite long-running series and I can imagine that we learn a lot more about each of them as the series progresses but they all bring their own little spark to the investigation and there's just wonderful humorous elements like I mentioned before but there's also stuff that's so funny in a British sense of like there's this whole comparison over Joyce's lemon drizzle cake is much better than the M&S lemon drizzle cake because the M&S lemon drizzle cake is a bit too sweet. It's just very clever the way that he writes it. And the wonderful thing about the audiobook, if you do like listening to audiobooks, I recommend this one. And I do have to say that I got asked to take part in the kind of promotional tour for the audiobook. So that's the reason why I listened to it rather than read it. But it was a really wonderful audio, like, read. The narration was wonderful. And then at the end, there's a 40-minute chat between Marion Keyes and Richard Oseman. And Marion Keyes is obviously such a well-respected author. And it's so funny because she is, she says this book is just perfection. And she can't, she can't comprehend that this is his first novel it's his first attempt at a novel too like it's his first project that he's worked on but what Richard said in that chat was that he would never write a book that he didn't want to read himself and so I think when you read it it just comes across as so authentically fun and it's so tender in places as well Mm -hmm. because being in a nursing home there's these explorations of death and life and all this other stuff it's a bit cozy and sweet, but it's also quite tender. But then the murders involve like gangsters and stuff like that. So it's quite, it's quite wonderful. And it's a, it's, it's sort of the sort of murder mystery that is wonderful for all ages. Like younger people will enjoy it, but then older people will obviously enjoy it in a different way. You will all enjoy the story, but the underlying elements, people will take different things away from the relationships and stuff. It's, Like I said, I'm really, I think I need to buy the book and read it again because it's so wonderful. And even Marion Keyes mentions in the end, she's like, it's the sort of book that you can imagine just returning to when you're feeling a bit down or when the world doesn't 
feel right. And I mean, I think 2020 has been that year. We're all looking for comfort reads. And this is like tea and scones and jam and cream, British comfort, but with a, with a slight edge, which I loved. And also like a hundred percent, I hope that's me in my nursing home. when I'm <laughs> Like I want to be solving cold case. Like it's just wonderful. I loved it so much. Yes, clearly. But it just sounds like, like a very fun, light crime mystery, which is just, yeah. I love those elements being thrown together. Sounds I think good. you would love it. Even though like you wouldn't necessarily always read, it's not a thriller. No. Um, this cozy village life but there happens to be this crime element as well and I I really think that you'd love it It, it's only it only came out on September the 3rd that the big day that hundreds of books were published but I can see it being a bestseller in the UK at least for a long time and I I have no doubt there'll be a television adaptation imminently And I can't wait. I cannot wait. I want like 20 books of this series. I (laughs) love it already. I love these characters so much. They're wonderful. With those two recommendations, we, you know, take them if you will. But I guess we better get into this interview. Enjoy. Our guest today is an incredibly talented storyteller who has written columns for numerous magazines and published two non-fiction books and has just celebrated the release of her second fiction novel. Her debut fiction, Our Stop, was a smash hit in the UK summer last year and internationally, and The Love Square is set to be just as popular, having been described as clever, hilarious, and a total unbridled joy to read. We are so excited to welcome Laura Jane Williams to Better Words. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute delight uh, because, yeah, we both loved the book. Well, both books. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here, really. I'm, I'm in it for the compliments. Good. I think that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah, you put all that work in. You want to get some compliments for it. Well, you know, it can go one of two ways. So I, I, I'm, I'm just pleased that I'm getting the thumbs up from you. Thank you. <laughs> um, the Love Square is such a delight and we both really loved it. Can you start us off today by telling us a bit about what readers can expect from the story? Hot, hot men. <laughs> I... <laughs> all three of them. All three of them, yeah. Um, I love one of the strap lines for the book is Laura Jane Williams brings a whole new side to the love triangle by by adding in a, a, a third guy. So yeah, basically Penny Bridge has historically been very unlucky in love and um, it comes as quite a surprise when she meets Francesco and then her circumstances change and that means she gets reacquainted with Thomas who she knew at school and then Priyash comes along through her work, through her job and she's not monogamously committed to any of them and they've all got their issues but they've all got their absolute um total seductive parts and she also is a breast cancer survivor um who knows that she cannot biologically carry her own children so that impacts her decision making knowing that she's not looking for the father of her you know she's not looking for somebody to to impregnate her in a way that might alter what she expects from romance so she's a lot freer um in many ways I think 
in our stop, my first fiction, um, it was such a will they, won't they, that I was very keen for my protagonist in my next story to be having sex as soon as possible. <laughs> and, and good sex at that. <laughs> so it's a little bit raunchier um, than my first fiction was. Um, but I just had a whale of a time writing it. So I hope that people have a whale of a time reading it. I think that really comes through. Yeah, it is fun to read. It's what we need this summer in the UK, mm. definitely. It's lovely, but it is so complex and has a lot of different. It's not. It's hard. I don't. I don't ever want to just describe it as you know, just a romance because there's so much more than just the guys. Even though that is obviously the tagline and what gets people in. But yeah, there's this love of herself. There's the baby. There's all this sort of stuff that is going on around that, which makes it so interesting to read and such a interesting modern love story as well. It doesn't feel like anything else that I've sort of read before. In the novel you mentioned, obviously, Penny has some upheaval in her life. She has to move from London to the village that she grew up in, in Derbyshire, which is where Jack and I live. Um, we live in Chesterfield, which is just on the edge of the Peak District. So I was very excited to see some walks near Bakewell and stuff like that. And I love that, that part of the novel. Um, and I was messaging Kate and going, oh my God, that walk that she does with Thomas, that's, that Jack and I have done something similar. Like, I know that place. Um, it's just really, it's really lovely. Um, and I think it's probably a part of the country that's not necessarily in like popular fiction as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, our stop really was very London, you know, like on the tube and all that. So, I know that you did something similar, moving back in with your parents in Derbyshire and then back to London, but eventually deciding to, to move to Derbyshire for good. Why did you want Penny to go through this in the novel? I think Our Stop was very, I wrote Our Stop as, as I knew I would be leaving London. So it was very much like my love letter to the city in, in many ways in Our Stop. Um, there is Nadia who narrates half the book, Daniel who direct, narrates half the book, but the third character is very much the city. Um, I love London. I was so proud to, to live there. In The Love Square, it's actually, uh, it was inspired by Far From The Madding Crowd. It start, I actually was developing The Love Square before I wrote Our Stop and then switched lanes and then have returned to the original story that I was working on. So based on Far From the Madding Crowd, where the protagonist um, in that inherits her uncle's farm and is forced to move. So this idea of a character starting out in one place, um, but having to go to another place um, was kind of, in, you know, that was an inherited plot point from Far From the Madding Crowd. And I kind of had this idea that in all of my books, I wanted the opportunity for characters to cross paths. So maybe Nadia from Our Stop could appear in, you know, three or four books down the line in passing, because I'm really interested in this idea. Do they call it, um, I think it's called Sonder, this realisation that you are the protagonist of your life, but in somebody else's life, you're just in the background. That kind of like love actually, um, we're all having these huge lives, but so is everybody else. 
Um, so I knew that I wanted to start the Love Square based down the road from where Nadia lives in our stop. The cafe that Penny Bridge runs in the Love Square is based on Esther's in Stoke Newington, which is when I lived in London, I lived around the corner from there and it was the place that I would go every day and it was just this like hip, amazing food, like you would see the old famous person, I just adored it. Um, and then it just felt very natural. I really fought against having her move to Derbyshire because that's what I did. And then I was so sad to leave London and was falling back in love with Derbyshire that it, it didn't make sense to write Pennybridge being anywhere else. Um, I, I wanted the character, I wanted somewhere to put all these big thoughts and feelings I was having about getting reacquainted with where I was born. I needed somewhere to put those yeah. and um, I was doing these amazing walks and discovering new places and I thought well Pennybridge is just gonna have to do that too. I really like that because I think that is something that um, a lot of people do go through you know like you sort of go back to your you know whether it's your hometown or like a town where you did spend like you know like where you went to uni or something and it kind of all comes back and even if you're like, oh, I don't want to go back or something, you know. Yeah, I think we uh, culturally kind of tell ourselves that to go back is to take a step back. But in my kind of yeah. return to where I was born, I actually experienced incredible growth. And Penny Bridge does exactly the same thing by stepping away from everything that she's, from stepping away from the environment that she's used to, and going back, inverted commas, um, to, to where she spent her teen years, um, she experiences, you know, rapid emotional growth as well. Sometimes you kind of have to go back to where you're from to, to truly appreciate how far you've come. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you never appreciate it when you're growing up there. Um, Caitlin and I both grew up in Rockhampton and we have the same thing you know but then if I show people in England pictures of where I grew up they're like why did you come over here why did you leave that and I'm like oh <laughs> like it just makes so much sense to me because it's the boring place that I grew up and yeah. that's how people feel like when when I'm in Chesterfield and they're like why did you come here you know like there's there's this sense of wherever we are is not good enough but to go away and then come back, it does give you this new appreciation for why things are good. And then, like you said, how far that you've come in life and how how you have grown. So, yeah, I, I really love that you um, ended up deciding to set it in, in Derbyshire. In the acknowledgements of the Love Square, um, you said you never thought you'd end up writing books about women's love lives, but that you are fascinated by the complexities of you know, all this love that we all have in our lives. Um, you said that you love having a space to explore the humanness of love and we just loved that. It's so beautiful. And we would like to talk about it a little bit more because, I mean, Michelle and I have had these conversations. We've spoken to some other people about this, but we always like these discussions about how women's fiction, rom-coms, romance novels are, you know, dismissed as frivolous or silly or a guilty pleasure but, I mean, especially the way you write these romances or rom-coms, it's only a small part of the story when her life is the whole picture. 
Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you feel about that and what you think and your approach to that kind of writing? God, that's, thank you very much. And also that just feels like a massive question. (laughs) It is a massive question, but that bit in the acknowledgements, I just was like, wow. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's human love and it's, it's love that we all experience. I think I'm very motivated by the fact that wanting companionship is incredibly natural, but we've mythologized companionship to the point where somehow without a central um, sexual and romantic relationship in your life, you're somehow missing out or you're somehow incomplete. It's very important for me to explore the notion of you know shagging three men like penny like penny bridge does is is amazing um as long as she's not searching for answers within those three different men that that she can't have on her own this idea of somebody else completing you i i think is so erroneous in in the way we explore romance in fiction or in film um I, I I the idea of completion just seems so ridiculous to me um but uh, but the idea of of complementing um kind of addition multiplying the joy in your life um just seems so much smarter and it's really important to me you know in our stop Nadia worked in STEM you know, a predominantly male industry in the Love Square. Penny Bridge works in um, in food. She's a very well-renowned chef, predominantly a male industry. Those are the examples that I want in my life. Full, round, whole, capable women who have been through stuff. You know, I've never sat at a cocktail hour or a coffee date and not, you know, sat opposite another woman who just I'm in awe of for the for the things that she juggles and her self-awareness and her drive and her motivation. And I don't mean drive and motivation for like work. I mean, for a full and whole existence, there's something so beautiful about the way especially women do that so I refuse to write a two-dimensional female character who is who is only made three-dimensional by love um she should already exist as three-dimensional and you know shagging three blokes or meeting a guy through the newspaper is is a, is an added bonus but she must already know herself um that I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. We could not agree more. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Do you think that people are quick to dismiss women's fiction because it's, you know, maybe a bit too frivolous or, you know, they have an idea about what women's fiction is. As a writer, do you ever feel, you know, intimidated or um, upset by that dismissal in the broader context of literature and fiction? Um, I think the easy answer would be to, to say yes, but then 
what strikes me is that I don't want to um, underestimate the intelligence of readers. If you are going to dismiss a book based on its cover or the place you found it in the bookshop, I would dare suggest that that isn't very clever. <laughs> and you might think you are being clever by dismissing genres or sections of the shop or sections of the website. Um, I would argue the contrary, that somebody who truly loves reading, who truly loves stories, who truly loves the exercise of empathy that consuming fiction is, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, if you're going to dismiss a whole part of the bookshop because you don't want to you don't want to practice the empathy of putting yourselves in the shoes of a female protagonist um exploring female issues that's not on me that's on you and we probably wouldn't get on very well anyway <laughs> that, and that that's so jay goes so i don't miss you <laughs> you know what I, I don't i don't i don't i don't miss you enjoy the other side of the bookshop and i'll be over here with the people who who do want to explore those things and practice that empathy and um, see themselves reflected that way as well. Who are these people that somehow, um, mm. there's no such thing as high art, low art. There is no such thing as like morality in culture um, or validity in culture. You know, a soap opera has the same merit as Hamilton the musical going to an art gallery has the same merit as the cinema you know you can't as long as you're consuming stuff like who cares get your kicks where you can yeah i love that i completely agree i think i kind of feel the same way about you know i understand everybody's entitled to an opinion um Opinions are like arseholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> but, but to that same end, I don't understand how someone can profess to be a book lover or a reader and then go and give like a one or two star or even a three star, like sort of scathing review. If you don't like something, just move on. Like yeah. where where is the joy in putting stuff yeah. down? Where is the growth in saying mean things if you don't like something move on because somebody else might like it mm. so so what are you trying to achieve by by voicing that I, I don't really get it yeah I just want everybody to have a lovely time that's all <laughs> yeah exactly and, <laughs> you know I sometimes think oh my gosh everyone must you know look at when I do because I don't do reviews anymore the way that maybe I used to when I started on Instagram um I think oh people must just think she loves every book she reads she says they're all amazing but it's because I just don't bother either reading or reviewing the ones that I don't like um unless unless there's a you know a, an issue where I think yeah. oh this is this is really bad I should talk yeah you know but if it's just the fact that I'm just like meh I'm a bit bored or whatever I, I yeah not for me yeah. one one star not for me well I tell you what shh <laughs> <laughs> exactly like because yeah. it's five star and somebody's cup of tea you know over there so <laughs> yeah this is like slagging off 
Exactly. If that's the system, I should give one star to like all these fantasy books that I've read because I'm like, I don't yeah. understand dragons or whatever. Yeah. Like it's the but same instead, thing. You just go, <laughs> not for me. Yeah, but good for yeah. you. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, one star for Shakespeare's The Tempest because <laughs> after studying it last semester in uni, I'm sick of that and I don't understand it. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> if, you, if you do that, then yeah, like Shakespeare and all those, you know, it's just, Anyway, um, speaking of, you know, finding the good in things, um, you recently um, posted on Instagram that you finished your first draft for your next novel. <laughs> but what, yes. um, <laughs> what struck me about that was what you said in the caption, you wanted to document the fact that you'd done it and you, you cared so deeply about it, but also that obviously it's such a disconnect between what is happening at the world at the moment and this mm. lovely world that you're inhabiting with the story. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience of, of writing during lockdown and the, the, I guess, the struggle, but also the joys of that? I mean, look, gosh, out of all the jobs I could be doing in this time, this is the one I want, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a fully paid up, paid up uh, fangirl for the being an author uh, club it's a wonderful experience we have been having a bit of a um an on and off heat wave so there's just been a lot of me sat in a t-shirt and my and, and my knickers like with the fan on me and depending on the time of day a glass of water or a beer I I think lockdown has meant I've just you know I'm in the house so I've really lent into if I want to watch Shit's Creek at 11 a.m. and then right at 4 p.m. That's what I'm going to do because, like, anything goes. I've really released myself from these shackles of this is how a day should look, this is how a week should look. Um, you know, I <clears throat> have enjoyed, you know, it's quieter in the supermarket on a, on a Friday morning, so I would rather go, you know, um, I spend a lot of time at the post office. It's It's... I, I can't quite get a handle on how or why but so I would rather you know do my jobs in the in the week or run my errands or um my parents do live just down the road so I've been able to see them throughout lockdown my my cousin is just down the road I would rather do that in in the week and then when everybody else is out at the weekend I'm safe at, at home you know but yeah there's been a lot of just the world is burning you know we're we're in a global pandemic and that's given way to a very um overdue surge in um this um ongoing civil rights upheaval across the globe um and then there i am like i say in 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 my pants writing about a woman getting on a plane to australia and it just feels so like writing about being in an airport, she's in an airport, she's getting on a, and it's like pornographic in a way, like, oh my gosh, no face masks, this whole idea of like gently, br you know, br brushing up against a man's hand and, and then she's, you know, kissing without abandon and, and and you just think what what and then you know you kind of pull yourself out of a few hours in front of your computer and look out the window and you're like oh <laughs> the world <laughs> is burning um 
so yeah that's been a, a a joy and a jolt i think i i read to escape fiction for me must be escapist you know whether that's a great big historical novel or contemporary women's fiction i just want to lose myself in a story so to lose myself in a story that i was writing felt like a real coup and i was like well i, I can only hope my readers feel the same way when they read it um, but then, yeah, you close the laptop and go, oh, this is okay. Yeah, just need a minute to like readjust to the world around me. And it's weird. I, I had a couple of weeks where I was really not very well writing this book. It was so strange. I, I had muscle fatigue. I was nauseous. I needed a nap in the afternoons. And, and I think I was just so fully immersing myself in it. That, that my body, I was having weird dreams. Beyonce made me sign up to, to take the place of Michelle in a Destiny's Child concert. <laughs> um, it was just... Uh, sounds amazing. I mean, in the dream I did it, but the dream was a lot about like being terrified of doing it. So yeah, it was just a very, very strange time. I've, I've got peers who have just said, absolutely not, I can't create anything in this time. So I'm incredibly proud of myself that I have written a first draft in this time. Um, let's see what my editor says, if it's any good. Uh, if, she, if she's like, wow, you're really focusing on like the airplane here. And I'll be like, yeah, remember that? Like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was, a rough, it was a rough ride, but I've done it. I've done it. Um, and it feels incredible to be launching the love square knowing I've already done a first draft of my next project because it means I'm not sat on the edge of my seat sort of do people like it do I have permission to write another one can you know what's the deal I I the love square doesn't belong to me anymore I've got I've got shit to do on this next book you know and um I hope I can create like that for the rest of my life, kind of always a project in front of myself so that I, I do just keep moving. I have to say, it is very impressive. Our Stop came out, what, a year ago? And now the Love Square and you're already working on the next one, which is set to yeah. come out like yeah. next uh, year, isn't it? When I signed the contract for a book a year, I was like, that is so much time. Thank you. <laughs> and then actually it's like seven or eight months you know, from start to finish with a book is seven or eight months. And then you maybe have a couple of weeks off and then launch into promoting the next one. And it's like, oh, God, okay, yes, right, okay. That's not, this is okay. It's not straightforward and it's not easy. And um, like I say, gosh, my job is sitting on my sofa in my pants with a laptop. I couldn't be happier. Um, but in terms of like the space it takes up in your brain um, and mm. when creativity is great, it generates more creativity and more energy. And when the creativity feels not so great, like the world is ending. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a lot. I, I have written th three novels in two years and an audiobook in a bid to get ahead of myself. Um, and now I am, so I can kind of like take my foot off the gas a little bit. 
but yeah I just and I think um you kind of what you write is never what you imagine in your head so as soon as our stop was done I knew the places that I wanted to take my next project and then as soon as the love square was done there was stuff that I um didn't have room for in the love square that I knew I wanted to address in my next project so it becomes this like game with yourself of um exploring all of these things you know you can't do it in one project but your last project informs your next one if that makes sense mm. um and I am kind of addicted to that <laughs> well, lucky for us and the rest of your readers <laughs> oh thank you um we did mention before that before Our Stop and The Love Square, you wrote two non-fiction books, Becoming and Ice Cream for Breakfast. How did you transition into fiction and how did you find the difference with writing those? That's a great question. Um, well, fiction was always the um, the ambition and, and the goal. Um, and I'm trained in fiction. My undergraduate degree is in creative writing um, with media writing um and so it was more that like the two non-fiction were kind of the the accidental um pull from the the, the fiction path rather than non-fiction yeah exactly yeah. um and that just came from basically on my first day of my undergraduate degree um we were told we would probably never get published to get that out of our heads. Um, you know, most most writers are inverted commas failed writers, which is just an awful turn of phrase and, and not one that I buy into. If you write, you are a writer, whether you're published or not. But yeah, I so I took that as like a, a bull, a, a, a red flag to a bull that, okay, well, I need to prove these, these guys who are saying it's impossible wrong. Um, as I pay them to teach me how to write, very bizarre. And so I started to build my own community online so that when I did have a fiction project, I could prove there was a hunger for my work. But the more I built that community, the more I shared about my life. And then my first book ended up being about my life. I also think I was in my 20s. Life felt very heavy and overwhelming and it was a way to kind of um in the same way that with the love square I wanted to put my feelings about what it's like to return to where you're born I think I, I needed a, a vehicle for my feelings about navigating my 20s and being dumped and being promiscuous and opting out of sex for a bit um so from the first book, then I was invited by my publisher to to do the second book which was incredible and amazing but actually what I found is you have to be way more careful about your truth when you are writing about your life than you do in your fiction. I always say in fiction, it's like hiding in plain sight. A reader won't know which parts of Francesco are me and which parts of Priyash are me and which parts of Thomas are me and which parts of Penny are me or Penny's uncle or Penny's sister Whereas if you're doing first-person narrative non-fiction, obviously that is all me. Um, both of my non-fiction books had to be read by lawyers to make sure I'd not said anything libelous li about other people, that I couldn't get in trouble. Obviously, you don't have to do that in fiction. 
um, it's all made up, but it's all inspired by my experiences. Like in our stop, a lot of people asked because it's written from um, the male point of view and the female point of view, you know, oh my God, are you Nadia? How much, you know, I gave her a blonde bob. <laughs> And I myself have a blonde bob, so I could see how it would confuse people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, are you Nadia? And I would say, no, I'm Daniel. Like, I'm too afraid to go on the record with how much of a romantic I am. So in Daniel, all these, like, illicit thoughts and feelings about romance and companionship and partnership like I just put them all in Daniel and nobody ever said to me oh is everything you wrote about Daniel is that how you feel about love nobody said that but if they did the answer would be like yeah shut up yeah like move on so yeah there's there's a place for non-fiction in my life for sure and I'm so grateful to other non-fiction authors you know Elizabeth Day's How to Fail um, Glennon Doyle's Untamed, like they have both been huge calling cards for me as a, a woman and a human and a creative. Um, but I do prefer fiction. I do prefer the hiding in plain sight. And uh, it's nobody's business which bits of which characters are me. But I'm definitely, in, you know, my thoughts and feelings and, and views are definitely in all of my fiction. Um, that actually preempted my next question because I was just listening to an episode of Emma Gannon's podcast, Control Alt Delete, and she was talking to Holly Bourne about about this and about the fact that she felt like she could be more honest in all of her upcoming fiction debut than she had been in her memoirs for the same reason. Um, but she was talking to Holly about the fact that you know people will try and guess things and. People will try and guess which parts of the fiction are you and which are not. And Holly said that um, after How Do You Like Me Now, a lot of people have been like, I'm so sorry I invited you to this wedding because the character in that hates weddings. <laughs> and so it's things like that. So have you found that people have been doing that? Like obviously with Nadia, but have you had other um, situations? To be honest, not, not so deeply it's funny um it's commercial women's fiction um so you you can't get too pointedly political I would argue that my books are inherently political I have a normalized diverse um representative cast of characters I try not just to focus on the heterosexual white experience um so yeah, by definition, I think they are political, but you 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 try not to be pointedly political, um, so that you like sort of unwittingly upset anybody. I did make Nadia in our stop um, does make a Brexit joke, like she she doesn't want to date a Brexiteer, she doesn't want to date somebody who voted um, leave in the referendum. And I've only had one lady on Instagram made a passing comment about how sad she thought that was, that I would put my political views in. But my argument was, in the same way we knew Bridget Jones was a Labour supporter, because that just fit for that media, um, urbanite character that Bridget Jones was. And I just said, but, but Nadia works in STEM in London, 
like uh, yeah she yeah it fits with who she is but it it was interesting that this reader felt you know compelled to feed that back to me and that like that then like leads you to assess of okay so is it bad if I write a world where Brexit doesn't even exist as an issue um or is that absconding like any sense of social responsibility that I've got in my writing so there's kind of like a tightrope where you want to be as inclusive as possible but still be realistic which kind of gets off the point of like have people said did this happen to you did this happen to you did this happen to you um that's the only explicit example I could think of probably because I would you know I'm so um pro EU on my social that has been something that has changed for me having written nonfiction and building up this community I've very much stepped back from what I share on social media so that the fiction can speak for itself so I suppose instead of having people ask me is this you is this you is this you you know beyond the blonde bob (laughs) uh, I gave Penny Bridge long red hair in the next book and I myself do not have long red hair so Perhaps I won't get that question anymore. Yeah, I've just gone on on a, on a slightly bizarre rant about if I want to make my characters pro-Europe, then that is what I shall do. Yeah, I've, I've stopped sharing so much of my own life on social media now so that the fiction can speak for itself. And I just focus on talking about my work and talking about the stuff that that matters to me and if it matters to me it's probably going to matter to my to my characters as well it's just delivering it in a way that is kind of side on rather than head on um so you can still make your point but I don't have to be rude about making my point and I don't want to upset anybody either you know you should start talking about your social media and what you share there because it's like um, i've pre-read the questions or something i'm like oh a little segue yeah so on instagram you do these hilarious posts where you have like little characters with your clothing and and everything but um we just said you took a long break from social media as you were writing and everything and you've just come back and you said you've got a new perspective on instagram and deleted heaps of your old posts can you tell us a bit more about what you learned from that? Because I think we're all still learning really how to use social media. I think I just, um, when I was in my late 20s and and I thought the best thing in the world was to be seen because to be seen was to be validated. And I was just so unsure of my own life and direction that that external validation um, actually served great purpose that, um, because I was getting great feedback on what I was sharing, I and it, it emboldened me and made me feel braver, and I took bolder choices, um, particularly with regards to to my work um, and, and building a career as as a as a, an author. And then I kind of feel like I've grown up, and I'm so grateful for that support. Um, but that doesn't, you know, all the bad home hair dye escapades and long captions about my feelings that are like diary entries there's just not a a place for that anymore and for somebody arriving to my work now just feels inappropriate to to have 5,000 posts over the past six years 
out there, I think I'm always grateful when people tell me that they're reading and they like my stuff. I was recognized in the sauna at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> and she was lovely. I It's weird. Um, I had been in the outdoor pool and I felt like she had done a double take at me, but you don't automatically go, I bet that person recognizes me because, you know, you don't want to be a dickhead. Um, <laughs> But retrospectively, you know, then I'm in the sauna and I'm in a bathing costume and no makeup, you know, sweating bullets. And um, she comes in and goes, oh, and then are you Laura Jane Williams? And, I, and, you know, and it's wonderful. And I think if she'd have said, I follow you on Instagram, I would have been like, oh, but she didn't. She said, I read your books and, and I love your books. Um, but just a real moment of like, I really reflected on that and drove home and was like, I know, I, I know nothing about this person. And yet, if she follows me on Instagram, she's gonna know so much about me. Yeah. And, and, and it just really made me uncomfortable. And, and I just thought, you know what, now is the time to batten down the hatches. And also, I don't want to know too much about the authors who I read and adore. Um, you need an element of mystery, um, I think to keep your fiction interesting. Um, so yeah, I deleted, like, I deleted everything from, um, the middle of last, no, the, uh, the beginning of last year. Try to keep, you know, there's just a hundred posts up there that kind of speak to fun things, but deleted stuff about, like, my family or my ambitions it just feels really nice to keep some stuff for me I think it all went wrong for me when Instagram stories became a thing because then I, then I started to treat myself like a bloody vlogger documenting everything from like when my period came to um you know my thoughts about the new da 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 and and I just that's a lot of time to be on the internet I understand I agree I got a Facebook notification today um celebrating my 10-year friendiversary <laughs> with my mother and I was like oh my god I was like I've been on Facebook for 10 years I was like yeah. god knows what's yeah. on here it's kind of you know it's fun to look back and it's fun to see like the evolution of technology um, and a little bit about like the evolution of us, but also it is weird. Like if you started a new job tomorrow, you present who you are now and you reveal your history as and when is, is appropriate. But for you to start a new job and then some, you know, your coworker can go and see the last like 10 years of your life. That's scary to me. It is. It's very scary sort of on a weird note I always hate that when um because I am single so on dating apps when people are like oh let's like leave the app and I'm like I don't want to add you on Facebook you could go back and look at photos yeah. of me from 10 years ago I don't want to do that yeah. no yeah absolutely not until I know you absolutely when I was on dating apps I didn't even like want to I don't want you to know my surname or to be able to google me or like uh, when did it become the rule that we are to have access to every facet of somebody? I just blindly yeah. accepted that as truth. And 
this kind of like culture of entitlement that we should have access you know you look at zadie smith for example and you're like it's what we don't know about zadie smith that makes what we do know like amazing <laughs> yeah absolutely um it would be lovely to end on a little preview of the lucky escape if you're able to tell us just a little bit of what it's about um i'm guessing a bit about australia which will make us automatic fans <laughs> um the lucky escape is about a woman on her honeymoon with a man who is not her husband Ooh, Ooh i love this <laughs> i've said too much move on <laughs> well whatever changes it goes through in drafting and you know a long process it will, I'm sure it will be amazing. Um, I'm already excited and it's like no pressure, obviously you've still got, you've only just released the love square. So you know, <laughs> we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> it's weird though, like already with that draft being in, I'm like, should I be thinking about the novel after? Like that would be the novel for <laughs> summer 2022, but already I'm like, oh, what about dot 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 so um yeah the brain just never stops you must be a <laughs> thinking like a novel woman i just you know I, I i am a woman with a plan i am uh i am a, a planner and i need to plan my time so that i can plan when i'm gonna not work and and i like to not work more than mm. i work um so thinking ahead is a way for me to be like okay, this is when I'm going to take vacation days. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you online? www.laurajaneauthor.com or at laurajaneauthor um, across Twitter and Instagram. If I'm there, when I'm there, I'm there all the time. And when I'm not, I've, I've gone for months at a time. They'll um, just have to follow you and, yeah. and wait and see. This is it. <laughs> Just wait this and is it. It's like some mystery to the, to the social media. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Mm-hmm.